over the years I've taken a lot of trips and, and uh, I've gotten to where I care I have a uh, I have a checklist on my computer and before I pack I go print out the checklist and uh, before that I typically would forget things like shoes and belts and things like that and uh, that's uh, that often of course you can get those mostly wherever you go and so I end up with new belts and new shoes and um, new shirts and things. Um, but sometimes when we travel, we forget things. Or we're planning for a trip, we forget things. Now, the parables, uh, the parables, and that's where we are today, and that's, that's where we've been the last few weeks, the parables of Jesus. Now, um, what we find is in the, in, the, in, in the parables of Jesus are the essences of what Jesus wanted us to know. In truth, sometimes I don't think that statement's strong enough. The, tr- the truth is that Jesus came to reveal himself to us. He came to reveal God to us. Okay? And so what he's really revealing in these, in these stories, in these parables, not only God, but God's plan for us. They're simply not quaint and nice stories. They represent the mindset and practice foreign to the existing values and the practices of our day. Now, as we look at at, at parables and we try to understand what Jesus was saying, was trying to, there's a couple of ways we can look at parables. And the way we normally, as, as believers, look at parables, we try to dissect the thing and take every little part of the story and make it mean something. Yeah? Have you ever done that? I've done that. And for some reason, that doesn't work real well all the time, does it? There's always a missing piece. And, and, and I would say to us that what, what's really going on here is that a parable is a simple story that... In, in the context of the kingdom of God that drives home simply one or more central truths. So whenever we get into the, into the weeds too closely, a parable is something, quite frankly, that you've got to look at from a distance. Like I'm looking at, a con- at, a, at the congregation. I, I see two uh, sections of seating, and I see a lot of great people. Okay? But if I get too close, I'm not going to see some of the things that I need to see. I'm going to see some things, but I'm not going to see everything that I need to see. And, and, and the parables are that way. And as we look at this passage, I'm going to turn with me to Matthew the 25th. I feel like I'm missing something. Have I, lost, have I forgotten something? It's just me, I guess. Just me. We'll just, we'll just, we'll just. Matthew the 25th chapter. Um, and I've entitled this is Ten on a Trip. You know, for, for, for no, it's, a, it's the parable of the ten virgins. Then the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said it this way, then the kingdom of heaven will be car- comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were prudent. When, for when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the prudent took oil in flasks along with their lamps. Now, now, while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. 
But at midnight there was a shout, Behold the bridegroom! Come to meet him! Then all those virgins rose and they trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, uh, said, No, there will not be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were, uh, were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was closed. The door was shut. Later the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Be on alert then. Be on the alert then. For you do not know the day nor the hour. Father, in the name of Jesus, help us to understand what you would have us to know today through your word and through the ministry of your Holy Spirit in this place. Draw us close to you. We need you today, and we need your anointing. We are anointing on our hearts and on the words. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Now, let me, I mean... Let me tell you something that's going to make this story uh, uh, come alive to us, okay? I mean, we've got this story, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like this. And then he talks about ten virgins who are waiting for the bridegroom to come, okay? And they had their lamps, right? And while, uh, you know, he delayed, he delayed. And while they waited, they fell asleep, in other words, they did what people do at night, right? And then they heard the cry. Then they found out. The cry was, the bridegroom comes. And they said, okay, well, they got up and they realized, some of them realized they didn't have enough oil for the lamps, okay? Yeah, a simple, simple thing, right? Well, we find in the passage of Scripture, as they went to get oil, uh, the bridegroom came, took the, the others into the, the, the bridal or the, or the party, and the others were shut out, the ones who didn't have enough oil. Now, we could go into, and we could talk about the oil is the Holy Spirit, and we could talk about the, the, you know, uh, all the different pieces. I want us to back up and, and see a bigger picture here. And this will help us to understand this passage and what God is trying to say. It's the, the, the lesson is not extensive, but, but you, you, I think you'll enjoy, I, I did, and I enjoyed looking at this. Let me tell you about the, the, the wedding custom in ancient Israel. Okay? When a young man decided that he wanted to marry someone, he would, he, in Jesus' day, he would go to the, he, he and his family, his father would go to the family where this young lady was. And they would, and, and, and he, they would approach this family with a marriage contract. I need you to pay attention. And this was not a small issue for the contract was legal and bind, it's a, it was a binding agreement. And when enacted and signed, Unlike the engagements between two people in our society today, being engaged as a Jew, to, uh, to Jew was binding. This is why this is why once Joseph, and this this helps us to understand that you know this is why Joseph could, in a sense, take Mary with him. They were considered married under contract. Okay, All right. She and her father, this young lady, this, this bride, 
They would look over the terms of the, the marriage contract and they would read it. And if the terms were suitable, you've got to get this because this, is, this, is, this not only has to do with this parable, but some other things I'm going to bring in. If the terms were suitable, the future bride and groom would drink a cup of wine together and the bargain would be sealed. Now catch this. There was a cup. For the groom drinking this cup signified that he was willing to sacrifice himself in order to have this bride. For the bride, it showed her willingness to enter into the marriage. Now the groom would pay a price at this point, kind of a dowry. And it could be said that the price was no small amount. I'm sure it, it was set based upon uh, the, the, the conditions of, of the circumstances of the, of the people involved. Some are rich, some are poor. But the price was so set that the bride would be costly. And the young man had no illusions that he was going to get something for nothing. To marry this, his chosen girl would cost him something. After the matter was settled, the groom would depart. Now, you've got to catch this. The groom would depart, and he would make a short speech to his bride, telling her that he was going away to prepare a place for her, but that he would return at an appropriate time. Then he returned to his father's house, and there he would build a bridal chamber. In his father's house. Now, it could be on his father's property, and if, he, if they were not people of means, it was right within the father's house. Okay? And in that bridal chamber, they would spend their honeymoon. The bridal chamber had to be beautiful. And it had to be stocked with provisions since the bride and the groom were to remain inside it for seven days during their honeymoon. The construction project could have taken up to a year. Ordinarily, the father of the groom was the one who determined he would judge when the bridal chamber was finished. While this construction was going on, the bride was just waiting. She doesn't know when her bridegroom is going to come. She just doesn't know. She's just, she's doing a lot of waiting. She would gather her trousseau or whatever she needed. She was, in other words, she just wasn't sleeping. She was working, getting ready, not knowing when he would return. The Jewish custom provi- provided that she had to have an oil lamp ready in case the groom came late at night or in darkness she would have to travel at a moment's notice. During this long time of waiting, she, was, she as the bride was referred to as being consecrated, that is, set apart or bought with a price. Meanwhile, the groom would be building and decorating and the father would inspect the chamber from time to time to see if it was ready. The exact moment of the return was unknown, but finally it was ready, and the groom would assemble his friends to accompany him and the, uh, on the trip to claim his bride. He and his friends would often set out at night to completely surprise the bride. This was considered part of the romance of it. In effect, the Jewish bride was going to be stolen. 
Now, there were rules to be observed in consideration of the woman's feeling. The groom could not just rush in on her. As they got close to the bride's home, a friend of the groom would typically run ahead and give the warning. He would yell, the bridegroom cometh. When the bridegroom heard the shout, she knew her young man would be there momentarily. She only had time to light her lamp and grab her honeymoon clothes and go. And so the groom and his men would charge in, grab the bride and her maids, and make off with them. The father of the bride and the brothers would look the other way, or perhaps take one look to make sure that the man was indeed the one who made the contract. (laughs) When the wedding party reached the house of the groom's father, and after the ceremony, the ceremony would take place there, the bride and the groom would go into the chamber and shut the door. No one else would enter, and they would remain there for seven days. During those seven days, the groom's father would assemble the rest of the guests and prepare to celebrate the new marriage. The bridal week, as it was called, mentioned, uh, is mentioned in several passages in Judges and Genesis. There are two of them. At the end of the week, the bride and the groom would make their long-awaited presence, uh, make, make their long-awaited presence to the cheers of the crowd, and there would be a great feast, a marriage supper. This might well be called the wedding reception today. After the marriage supper, the bride and groom would depart, and they would not remain any longer at the father's house. Instead, they would go to their own house. Okay. Gives you an idea. So let's go back to this passage, knowing what you have just been told. The kingdom of heaven, okay, This is not just about a bridegroom and a bride. The kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. See what's happening here? Five of them were foolish, five were prudent. And when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the prudent took oil and flasks with them. While the bridegroom was delaying, what was he doing? He's building a place. But I go to prepare a place for you, so that where I am, you may be also. Do you see this? See this? So the, the kingdom of heaven is like this. Now while the bridegroom was delaying, all got drowsy and began to sleep. But after midnight there was a shout, Behold the bridegroom, come to meet him. And then all the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the prudent, give us some of your oil. Our our lamps are going out. The prudent said, no, there will not be enough for us and for you too. But go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. Moving down to the passage, he said, Lord, open for us. When they came back, he said, truly, truly, I do not know you. Be on alert then, for you do not know the hour or the day. All right. Let Let me move to a place where you probably didn't expect. The ninth chapter of Daniel. Okay? Ninth chapter of Daniel. I'm not going to read all of it. In the, <laughs> in the first year of Darius, the, the son of Ahasuerus of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign. I, Daniel... Observed the books, observed in the books of the 
the number of years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned. We've committed iniquity, acted wickedly, and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. Now, we understand Daniel is with the captives in Babylon, okay? He's with the captives, and he's beginning to repent. He began, he began to read the scriptures, and he's wondering, oh, Lord, how long, how long will, be, will, we, we, will we be in captivity? How about the end times, God? When will you pull this all back together? Moving on in, in, from verse 6 to verse 19, it's, it's more repentance. And he's just kind of laying it out and says, God, we've, just, we've not been faithful to you. And on the, on the 20th, in the 20th verse, he says, Now I, while I was speaking and confessing my sin and the sin of my, of my people Israel, presenting my supplication before the Lord, my God, in behalf of the holy mountain of God, while I was still speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in visions, previously came to me in extreme weariness about, about the time of the evening offering, and he gave me instruction and, and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued, I, came to, I have come to tell you for your highly esteemed, so give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgressions, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to, to anoint the holy place. Now, 70 weeks. These, according to all the, res- all the sources I have, these were weeks of years. A week, each seven days. The weeks that we're talking about, a week was approximately 490 years. Seven times seven, that kind of a thing. So you're looking at this, and if you're trying to do the math, some of it were, depending upon what you're looking at and, 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 and the resources that you're looking at, whatever chart you're looking at, it might, ex- might not work exactly the way you, you want it to. But essentially, he's saying 70 weeks has, has been appointed, Okay. And let me read on here, and you'll, you'll see a little bit, uh, because, again, if you look into to end times literature, eschatology, and all those kinds of things, what you find is that no one has the whole picture. If you see that, that some of the picture is in Ezekiel, some of the picture is in Daniel, certainly a lot of the picture is in Revelation, and, and then you find little pieces and bits throughout the scriptures that gives us insight into to what's going on here. Now, my purpose is not to to lay all of that out uh, for you today, but just to kind of bring some kind of meaning to this this passage that that I've read to you and how that that when Jesus says, and there were ten virgins, and he begins to talk about the kingdom of God, it's, it's part of this bigger picture, okay? So Daniel's there. And Gabriel says there's 70 weeks now uh, that, that's appointed for, 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 for Israel, for, for, for Jerusalem. Now catch this. 
to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the holy place. Could I say, in, in, in just in general terms, we're talking about an, for, for all the sin to be removed from, from Jerusalem until God is going to do what he's going to do at the end times, okay? All right. So you are, you, so you are to know and discern from, from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, uh, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. In other words, 69 weeks. It will, be, it will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. There, then after 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and its end will come with, with a flood. Even to the end, uh, there, will be, uh, there will be war, desolations are determined. And he will make a firm covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to the sacrifice and the grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate even, uh, even until the complete destruction. Uh, one that is decreed is poured out on those who makes desolate. Now, I'll catch this. Here's what I'm seeing. The Messiah is cut off what, on the 62nd week. That's happened. That's the crucifixion. According to, uh, according to the resources that I have, the, that, I, that I'm looking into, I'm, I'm really not an eschatology guy. It's like, you know, but, but this, is, this connects to the passage of Scripture. And then there's a time that Luke talks about, I believe it's in the 21st or the 25th, I believe it's 21. 21, verse 24, he says, And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and will be led captive in, into all the nations, and Jerusalem, and will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Supposedly, this is between the 69th and the 70th week. The times of the Gentiles. Okay. So, the, Jesus is cut off, or the Messiah has been cut off. He was crucified, but it's not just kind of like over. Things are happening. During these times of the Gentiles, the Christian church has manifest. Okay. That's where we are right now. That's, right. That's where we are right now. Right now, Jerusalem is, in a sense, been, has been trampled by the Gentiles. The, 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 evenings, the, the sacrifice, all of these things have not been restored. The temple has not been rebuilt. Those kinds of things. So we're in that, that, that period of time. Could I bring us back to the passage of Scripture and say we're in the betrothal time? Okay? The bride of Christ that the Scripture talks about, we're in that betrothal time right now? And that passage of Scripture that I read from Matthew 25 that, that talks about, uh, and they went, they went and they were waiting on the bridegroom. That's where we are now. It's where we are now. Okay? Now, the 60 and the 70th weeks, the betrothal, the bride waits. That passage of Scripture that I was going to go back and I won't read it again a third time. It says they're waiting. Waiting on the bridegroom. Who's the bridegroom? It's Jesus. Jesus. Okay. Now, 
the, 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 the last week, and, and, and the last, that 70th week, okay, right before that 70th week, this is where this, this passage takes place. At the end of the 69th week, at the end of the, the, the times of the Gentiles, the bridegroom comes, and some will be ready, and some will, be, will not be ready. Now, let's go back to the, the wedding custom, and this, this helps us to understand this. That Jesus comes, his bride goes up, and he says, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, he will be there. Now, how many days were they in the bridal chamber? Seven days. If, if, you look at the, if, if you look at the seven years, the church will be with Jesus. And while that's taking place, could I say everything breaks loose here on earth? That's when, the, the, as, as we talk about and speak about and, and learn, the great tribulation. In, 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 in different places it talks about, and he, he, gives it, he gives it in days. And some he gives it in months, but it's three and a half years. He says, and he will, and he's speaking, when he says he, the, the prince that is to come, will make a covenant with the people of God. They will, the, uh, Israel will make a covenant with the Antichrist, with the prince that is to come, the king that is to come. And the temple will, go, uh, will, will move into full swing. Full swing. But after, he says, after half of that, three, he will betray. After three and a half years, he will betray them and cut off the sacrifice. Now, and cause what is called the abomination of the desolation. This happened once before. I think it was 600 and something B.C. Antiochus Epiphanes came in, cut off the sacrifice, and offered a pig on the altar. Okay? In, in, in Jerusalem. Some of, some of you are saying, what in the world is he talking about today? Some of you get it. I mean, you're with me. And others, I, I'm, I'm hoping I, I can pull you back in at the end here. Okay? And, but Jesus spoke of this in the future Years after Antiochus Epiphanes did this. Okay? So he was projecting in, in, in the book of Matthew, the book of Luke, when he talks about the abomination of desolation that will take place. Luke 24. Okay? Talking about the bridegroom returns for the bride after the 69th week. Here's what Paul said to the Thessalonian church. 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who, who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as the rest who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For, we, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. And what are they saying? The bridegroom comes. And the dead, will be, the dead in Christ will, be, will rise first and those who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in, in, in the clouds and to meet the Lord in the other. So shall we always be with the Lord. Comfort one another with these words. Then comes the 70th week, the covenant with Israel, and then the betrayal, 
and then the great tribulation. Daniel speaks of this great tribulation. He speaks of this, these, these seven years, these three and a half years after the betrayal. All this is going on and taking place in the earth. Isaiah uh, gives us an overview of, of, of the, in the terrible times. I believe it's Isaiah, the 24th chapter, if you're, if you're taking notes. Daniel sees it, but God tells him through the, the angels, says, seal these things up. Seal these things up. And then we see a better, uh, you might say a more uh, a vivid picture of the tribulation and all the things that are poured out upon the earth. Now, remember this. God has taken his people out. Know this, that the great tribulation, is, I recognize tribulation, people are, some people are having a, a whale of a time. You'd, you'd have a hard time making the people in Indonesia right now feel like, like they're not in the midst of the tribulation. But the tribulation is God pouring wrath out upon the world. That was never intended for his people. Never. And we see throughout Scripture that he always, those who would walk with him and those he considered his people, he protected while he punished others. Okay? We see that in Scripture. All right. We get back to the passage. Okay? I gave you some, some of Daniel. Some of you were wanting some Daniel. And, uh, and the 70 weeks doesn't tell it all there, but you have to put some of the other passages together to understand. The passage, the parable that we're addressing today is about being ready. Now, we could, we could dissect and say, who are the ten virgins and what does virginity mean and, and, and the lamps and stuff. Essentially, folks, if, if when, when the, the bridal party took off through the, through the town to go back to the groom's house, if you didn't have a lamp, you were considered probably a, a party crasher and you were kept out. So you had to have a lamp with you. Kind of an interesting thing in, the, in, in that time, in that history. They had to have the oil. That was part of the deal. And Jesus was using this little, this little custom to, 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 uh, to, to reveal that some people will not, be, will not make it to the party. Okay? Will not be invited in. And they won't be ready. Now, let's talk about being ready. What does the scripture say about being ready? In fact, we move from that one passage of scripture in Thessalonians to the, next, to the next chapter, and he talks about this. Paul ta- tells, he says, Now as to the times, uh, this is 1 Thessalonians 5, Now as to the times uh, and the epics, brethren, y- you, you have no need of any, any, anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. Uh, 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 aren't we there? Just like a thief in the night, while they were while they were saying peace and safety, then sudden then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day should overtake you, like a thief. For you are all sons of light. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping in the night, and those who get drunk, they get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of love and faith, and, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. 
For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up with these words, just as you are doing. Now he goes on, he says, I request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you. Let's move down. He says, rejoice always, being ready. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. Different kind of a sermon. Different than one I give you normally. But you see how that parable was honestly tied in to the book of Daniel? Or should I say simply the kingdom of God that's revealed, that was revealed to Daniel? In Ezekiel, we find it in Revelation. But one of the keys that we miss is simply knowing the customs of the day. The customs of the day. I love, what I loved there when I saw that, and, and I saw the rapture there. I really did. When, when the whole idea of the, seven, the 69 weeks and then the seventh week and how that the bride would be with the bridegroom for seven days. See? Got that? This is last week. Now, there are other things that take place there. I mean, that's in the book of Revelation and other things. But you and I need to know that Christ will come. Christ will come for those who are ready. Now, now what does it mean to be ready for him, okay? I think the bottom, uh, the primary thing is to give your heart to Christ today, to live, in, to live for Him, to give, your, to give your heart to Him, to accept Him as your Savior. Okay? We know that. We know that's the basic, that's, that, that's where we are. But I, I know that, that, and I don't mean to kind of like pull on things, but I, I recognize that sometimes we give our heart, people have given their hearts to the Lord, and they're just kind of fallen away. The Scripture speaks of that. And they say, well, you know what? And this is, this is what they'll, you'll, you'll hear. Ah, uh, hey, my parents, my grandmother, she said Jesus was going to come at any time. Eh, he didn't come. I can eat, drink, and be merry. I can do what I want to do. One of these days, I'll get it right. I, I will just kind of, I'll return to God. I will, give, I will make things right. I will get serious about my faith and my relationship with Jesus. But for the, for the now, I got time. I have time. I can do what I want to do. I can pursue those things in the world. One of these days, I'm going to, just, I'm going to get serious about it, and it won't be too late. Okay? And see, that's the game we play with ourselves. Isn't it? Anybody play that game before? I have. Yeah. Yeah. But the scripture tells us that he's coming when we know. And what's this? Be diligent. Be focused. You know, kids, a great example of this is kids, 
when, uh, when mom and dad goes away and they leave you with chores? Leave you with chores? Yeah, okay. And they leave you with chores? And they say, well, we'll be back in four hours or we'll be back tonight sometime. The first thought is, ah, we got plenty of time. We don't have to do this. We don't have to clean. Let's, let's have a water fight. I mean, we, that's what we used to do as kids. We'd have water fights in the house. Crazy, right? We just do all kinds of crazy. Do flips off the side of the couch and just all the kind of things that kids can do. And to our mom and dad, mom and dad, they won't be here six, seven o'clock. We got plenty of time. And then mom and dad shows up. Bang, you're right. And it wasn't done. They weren't, they weren't ready weren't ready for the return. Now, and I, I, I said those things just to kind of put some, some, some human, right now, flesh on that. But the truth is, is Jesus is coming back. And we need to leave, live ready for him. You know, maybe, I don't know how you, how you do that other than sometimes you serve him, you live for him, you don't play games, you're in church all the time, you're, 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 you're looking to grow your faith with him, you're, you're involved in the missions program, you're, you're, you're just, you're not out there. You're not playing the game as one of these days I'm going to get, get it right because I'll have time. Because my hunch is that that's a, that's a very dangerous game to play. Let's, a very dangerous game. Stand with me, please. Stand with me. This is ready day. If Jesus were to come today, would you be ready? If you, if you can honestly say, no, you need to be at this altar with me. If you can honestly say, if Jesus came today, I would not be ready Get yourself up here. I need to be ready. Okay? Maybe you don't want to be ready. Okay? Stay where you are then. Stay where you are. If you don't want to be ready, if you don't care about this, it's okay. I mean, you know, it's not okay, but I can't make, I can't make that happen. I'm here to let you know that you can be ready should Jesus come today. How many people would say, well, okay, well, you know, I'm young. I've got time. I've got time. Every once in a while, we die before our time. And the time, in a sense, has run out. Look, on the, look in the obituaries. Runs out for people every day, doesn't it? I don't know. I mean, I've been at the bedside of many people who had delayed it. Had delayed the decision to, to, to walk with Christ, to give their life to Him. I've been to the bedsides, that you might say the deathbeds. And the funerals were, where people would look to me, all the family would look to me as looking for words of hope. And there were none to give because they waited too long. The person waited too long. I'm not, I'm not here to thrash anybody. It's just Jesus said these things. That when he comes, not everybody's going to be ready. And for whatever reason, whether they thought that they'd always have plenty of time, whether or not that he, he, wasn't, he wasn't telling the truth, most of the time it's, I've got time to do this. I've got time to buy more oil. 
I've got time to get it right. And Jesus comes. And it's not right. We're going to worship. I want to offer this altar for anyone who would like to pray. If you're not ready to, to, if Jesus would come today, I want to pray with you. I want you to have the courage to come and pray with me because we want to make you ready. There's no reason for you to walk out of here not ready. Amen? Let's worship the Lord.